House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Now today we're, we've got a um, great guest. Um, I'm really impressed. She's uh, done some incredible work for rights, and uh, we're pleased to have her. Uh, Gloria Allred, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Al. Gloria, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't say enough. I, I, you know, after seeing that uh, Netflix um, docu documentary, seeing All Red, I was surprised. I didn't realize how much and how long you've been doing this sort of, um, um, how you call it, just helping people out um, for the, just their basic rights in all different. All different aspects, from from gay to uh, just everything. I just can't believe it. Um, what made you go in that direction for your whole life? Well, I have been doing this for forty three years, and our law firm is the leading women's rights uh, law firm in the United States, private law firm. Uh, I just have a passion for justice. I've always had it. Uh, I like to uh, right the wrongs to the extent possible under the law, and uh, I was very fortunate that uh, two of my classmates in law school, uh, I approached them, and they agreed to join me in creating a law firm, and we've been together for all these more than four decades, and, you know, we think that individuals who uh, perhaps don't have power, don't feel they have rights, don't feel they have a voice, should be able to enjoy all of those, and we're there to support them in their quest to win justice, and uh, we feel very honored to be able to do that. So for all of these years and all, all of the different fights you've taken on, do, do, do you do find that it's worse today or better today to try and deal with... Um, um, you know, let's say the sexual harassment or, or the, the, the rights of women or, or um, gay people and stuff like there's There's so many things, but I look at some of the things you were doing in the 60s and 70s, and it seemed to be a harder struggle um, back then. Is that true? Well, well, definitely, I agree with you. And, and it is easier now because we have more laws that we can use as weapons to assert uh, our clients' rights to uh, and to vindicate their rights. And so it is easier now. That's the good news. The bad news is that people are still being discriminated against in employment, in by businesses, in other areas of life, simply on account of their gender or their sexual orientation or their age or their race, their physical disability. Um, uh, and, and other factors. So, you know, we still have a long, long way to go. But the good news is that the public is more and more aware that they do have rights at, to be free of discrimination, to be free of sexual harassment and rape and child sexual abuse and many other areas in which we work. And more and more people are willing to contact us and assert their rights and to win justice. So I'm very proud of my clients. Um, do you think the climate is tougher now with with Trump being president? Like that's sort of um, my my thought on it. I, I I sort of think that it's he's working against civil rights. That's my opinion. Um, but do you think? Well, it's an opinion that actually could is well grounded in facts. 
uh, and and so I think, for example, that um, you know we can make an argument that he is refilling rights, and that he you know seems to be insensitive to issues of racism and sexism, uh, and so yeah, I think that your conclusion is could be very well argued to be based on facts. Hmm. It's pretty. It's yeah. It's just it's it just seems like it's a setback. Uh in the right direction for me. Well, it um, is a major setback to have President Trump as president. And more than a setback, it's very dangerous. And because he's very erratic, uh, has told literally thousands of lies, and uh, continues to lie, uh, and seems to very much favor an author- authoritarian model. And, uh, you know, I, I, he doesn't trust our intelligence uh, network. Uh, he seems to thumb his nose at the justice system. Um, there are issues, questions about whether or not this is a kleptocracy, whether or not um, there's corruption, whether or not uh, he has paid all of his taxes, and much more. So it'll be interesting to watch as all of these facts become known and are no longer hidden in the darkness. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of it's just crazy. There's so much going on. Um, now, how do you deal with, uh, you know, the perception by people like him and other people that will say things that are kind of mean toward you, um, more like giving you, an, uh, you know, their concept is that you're kind of an ambulance chaser of civil rights or something like that. Something. Well, quite- that's defamatory. That's defamatory yeah. to even suggest that. So, um, I, I, you know, look, I, if people are calling me names, it generally means to me that I've won my argument because if they had a good argument, they would give it. And if they have no good argument against what I'm advocating for, uh, then, then they start calling me names. And so that means I've won my argument and, uh, that's, and so I can feel good about that fact. And of course, for 43 years, anyone who, attempts to win justice in a significant way is going to be called names and uh, particularly true for women because women are considered you know that they should be subordinated silent uh, and I'm not willing to be subordinated I'm not willing to be silent about injustice and so you know however none of these attacks by many many men have deterred me one iota because I always think about the suffragists, those who fought for so many years, 72 years in, in the United States to win the right to vote for women. And they were attacked far worse than I am. And, uh, and they still continued on their fight to win suffrage for women, the right to vote. And thank goodness for them and the fact they were not deterred by that. Uh, there are women who fear criticism of men. And as the suffragists said, women who fear the criticism of men will never do anything meaningful for women's rights. Uh, whereas I don't care what they say, I, I'm just going to continue towards my goal of winning equal rights, equal protection for my clients under the law. So now you've been covering a lot of cases and you take a lot of victims of uh, sexual assault and, and abuse and, you know, through Bill Cosby, Michael Jackson, and now we've got R. Kelly. Um, mm-hmm. 
it, 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 is this just going to end, or is it, you know what I'm saying? Like it just seems like there's always someone, and they're they're not. We're not talking just one victim. It seems to be several. More than several. Um, I represent a number of accusers of R. Kelly who allege that they were victimized by him, who allege that some of them were underage, under the age of 18, and they allege that he sexually victimized them. And I represent one accuser who alleges she was only 13 years old uh, when she became uh, the victim of sexual abuse by Mr. Kelly. So, you know, the good news is that there is a case uh, ongoing. He is charged in Chicago with 10 counts of aggravated sexual abuse. Uh, the allegation is against three uh, women who were minors under age at the time of the abuse and one adult. Also, there are many investigations by other law enforcement agencies, uh, all like, you know, in, in many places around the United States, like the United States Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York. So no matter what happens in this case in which he faces these serious felony criminal charges in Chicago, there may be even more charges waiting for him uh, after this case in Chicago is concluded or even prior to that. Yeah, it's just it's just kind of it, it seems endless. Do you think? Um, I, I don't you know I don't understand people's thoughts of why they do such things you know like and how they think and get they can get away with it. Bill Cosby almost got away with it, but well, I mean, almost as my mother would would have said, only counts in, in horseshoes. Uh, he did not get away with it. He was convicted of three counts of aggravated sexual abuse of Andre Constant. Uh, and uh, he has been classified as a sexually violent predator, and he is in prison in Pennsylvania serving his sentence. Um, he likes to say he's a political prisoner. He's not. He is convicted of crimes, and that's why felonies, and that's why he's in prison in Pennsylvania. Uh, and no face-saving PR is going to change that fact. Um, and I give credit to many and many of my clients who were accusers of Bill Cosby, who came out and spoke their truth, and uh, we just kept persisting and persisting, and finally there was a prosecution uh, criminally of Mr. Cosby. Some of my clients ended up testifying uh, in that case, and he was he was convicted. So I give a great deal of credit to many of my clients who did agree to testify. Gloria, going going back to R. Kelly, I watched the with 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 a lot of interest, the interview that he did with Gail King. What, what is your take on that interview? Uh, I think it was a disaster for him. Um, you know, I, I, I would hope that his attorney would have told him, don't do it. Um, it's almost legal malpractice if they said, go ahead and do it. We think <laughs> it's a good idea. Uh, much of what he said will be used against him at trial, potentially. And, of course, he argued that all of the women who are making accusations against him are liars. Um, obviously, many of my clients have a great deal of problems with that statement, very hurtful to those who were victimized by him. And uh, I just think it's a, it, he made a major mistake in doing this interview he, you can see he's got an anger management problem. He's out of control at a certain point. He's ranting. 
you could see that he looked very intimidating. Uh, credit goes, of course, to Gail King for keeping herself composed. But what I'm saying is, uh, I think this is really, he's really made a mistake doing these interviews. I think you're right. I think it was, uh, it just looked like it was a horrible, uh, venture for him to be doing. Uh, it looked like it just did nothing but hurt his, uh, hurt his case. Yeah, I definitely think it hurt, it hurts his case. And, uh, I'd be shocked if he did any more interviews in the future prior to his trial, but I guess anything is possible with him. Uh, you know, he has this notion, apparently, that uh, that this kind of interview can help him. And uh, I don't know if he's seen the feedback on the Internet, but uh, clearly he was wrong if that was his assessment. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, just, it's just crazy, you know. You have to wonder where these people come from, like what they do and... Um, you well, know, I wonder I, most about him because he's the one that uh, seems to be uh, denying and avoiding reality. Well, you know, and, and one of the questions too, when Gail King, when she asked him if he had ever um, had sex with an underager, and he said not, not knowingly, but he married Aaliyah when she was fifteen or something, right? So th- that well, in itself, yeah, I think his allegation is that. Uh, that that is, uh, you know, that he didn't know how old she was or that she lied. I mean, he made made up some kind of defense. Yeah. Uh, whether it's true or not, you know, I guess we'll have to see as the trial proceeds. But certainly his marriage to 15-year-old Aaliyah uh, is very disturbing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then, then when we get to Michael Jackson, um, now with the new... Uh, leaving ne- ne- Netherland. Neverland. <laughs> um, what's your thoughts on that? I did watch it, and uh, at least in part, and it was very disturbing because I think that Michael Jackson does fit the profile of a sexual predator, and some of his accusers who were on the documentary uh, Leaving Neverland uh, were also... You know, some people had a lot of questions about him. And so I don't know if it's been recently evaluated or not, but I, I think he fits the profile of a sexual predator. And I think the some of his accusers certainly fit the profile of a victim. Yeah, and I have to wonder about the parents, too. They just They just seem to be mesmerized with fame. And, well, uh, sometimes parents, uh, you know, they, they can't believe a celebrity would do that to their children. And, you know, but once any adult isolates a child from her parents or his parents, I think that's a red flag. And, you know, I think we should ra- should not rationalize that, even if the person doing the isolating is a celebrity. It's just very dangerous. You take a person like Michael Jackson, who has admitted to having young boys unrelated to him sleep in his bed. Uh, that certainly should be a dangerous sign to anyone, a parent or anyone else. Yeah, it's, it's b- bizarre behavior. Um, out of all of these cases you, you've sort of handled and worked with, what was the toughest one for you? Uh, you know, we have a lot of tough... Yeah. Issues. If they're easy cases, they go somewhere else. If they're tough, they bring them to us. 
So I don't know. The one that took us longest was uh, a case where I represented a young woman who alleged she was sexually abused by seven Catholic priests and had a baby by one of them. Uh, we did that for 23 years. And then finally, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles admitted it. Uh, well, they, they decided to settle it, let's put it that way. But that was one of the early pre-sexual abuse cases. And uh, and I think after that, many people were inspired to come out and tell their truth about pre-sexual abuse. Uh, and we're very happy that we did it because our client... Um, Rita Mia is a terrific person, and she was victimized, and she had the courage to fight the church, and I, I commend her for that. Uh, by the way, ultimately, uh, all, well, all the priests disappeared on the day we filed the lawsuit and held a news conference, but we found the one who we believed was the father of the child. We got an order requiring him to take a DNA test, and in fact, it proved that he was the father of Rita's baby and he had been a priest, and uh, so we call him the father-father because the child was literally conceived in the church's rectory. Wow. Uh, why does it take so long? Why is it so much effort to, to do something like that one, where you could say 23 years? Um, yeah, well, that one was so unusual. That's because the church, you know, mm -hmm. after we filed the lawsuit, they argued that the statute of limitations had run. Of course, we argued that, you know, they had dragged it out. At least uh, Rita, before she came to me, had asked the church to help, and she kept waiting and waiting for the help that she says they promised, and it never came. Ultimately, so, uh, you know, it may be that they were trying to run out the clock on the filing of the lawsuit. Uh, ultimately, we, we thought we had a theory on which would allow us to continue with the case or to file it, um, and uh, we asserted it, but uh, it, it didn't help in terms of being able to continue with the case. So we went, we helped and get the law changed so she could refile the case. The law was changed. We were able to refile, and at some point then we were able to settle the case, and uh, and that was a that was a great result for Rita. You know, and and in the documentary on Netflix of, uh, that that you were in. Um, you show a tremendous amount of drive. It seems like you um, live to do this. Um, where does that drive come from? Well, that drive it just comes because I, I don't like injustice. And I think that those without power should be able to assert power and, and, and let those in power, whether they're in the religious world, the celebrity world, the sports world, the business world, the educational world, you know, they have to be accountable to, to those they victimize. And I think it's very unfair that, you know, people in power can hurt those who are not in power and not have to be accountable. They should need to be accountable either in the criminal justice system or in the civil justice system where, for example, we file cases for adult victims of child sexual abuse. They should have to be accountable either in damages or in the criminal justice system or in both and so that's what we're all about and uh, we love fighting for our clients and we like winning for our clients one of the things I noticed too was you 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 are always there at the press conference and you're very very um, close and supportive of the victim 
That's true. I plead guilty to that. Yeah, because I, I quite often you see different cases that you know are brought to TV and media, and uh, you don't see that from the attorney. Sometimes they'll speak and do a speech at the beginning, or sometimes uh, be involved in that way. But you seem to be very, very involved. You're very, you're very much right there. Uh, I'm very uh, involved with my clients who, you know, who ask me to be involved, and if I can make that commitment, I, I will. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of them because it does take courage to speak out and even to vindicate rights. Uh, so uh, they're very courageous, and I'm happy to be able to be there to support them. You know, I call this the, re- the age of the empowerment of women, and it's also the reckoning. So those who have hurt women should beware because one day they may wake up and find that their names are out there as as having hurt women, and then more and more people may call and say, yes, me too, you also hurt me. And, you know, at some point, uh, if the person's in elected office, they may have to step down or they may have to be accountable in some way. So if they don't want to have to wake up in the middle of the night worried, then perhaps they should not abuse or mistreat women earlier. And and quite a few cases. I mean, people don't, I don't think they realize, you don't just do high-profile cases, do you? You do um, lots of cases. No, and most of my cases are not high-profile. I'd say about 98% are not. Maybe 2% or less are. So... You know, we just want to vindicate our clients' rights, whether it's publicly or confidentially. We do handle a lot of cases confidentially. No one will ever know the name of our client. No one will ever know the facts on which we base our claim or what the claim said or the fact that there is a settlement conference and we try to resolve it. No one will know any of that. And in the end, the result may be required to be confidential. So... um, you know, we have to just protect our clients. That's our main duty. So do you think we'll ever get through all of these, uh, you know, we'll ever evolve to the point where everybody has equal rights? Yes, I do think that point will come in the future. Uh, exactly when, I don't know, but we're working toward that day. Yeah, I, I mean, it's something we all hope for. Um you know, uh, one other you know I, case that you uh, dealt with was with Roman Polanski, and uh, he's never been yes, allowed Roman back in Polanski. the country. Yeah. Uh, well, I think he could come back, but he doesn't want to have to face the judge, and so he <laughs> fled uh, from the sentencing, and that's that's why he's not in the country at this point. There are numerous accusers now of Mr. Polanski. And so if he comes back, he may end up getting charged. Perhaps that's one of the reasons that he has not returned. Yeah, yeah. He still gets to jet set around a lot of the world, but doesn't he? So. Well, he can go to other countries, but, it, you know, if it's a country that would uh, honor the extradition request, of, of the United States authorities, uh, he may not wish to go there. Mm, that's true. So with the R. Kelly case, do you think he'll get convicted? Uh, R. Kelly, 
Uh, I think that uh, he's got a lot to be concerned about. Uh, I don't like to predict what a jury will do, but I will say because there's so many law enforcement agencies that are investigating R. Kelly that uh, it's highly likely that he will be charged elsewhere in addition to Chicago. And, um, you know, depending on how many accusers are permitted to testify, um, then I think, uh, you know, that uh, that is going to be a very strong determinant of, you know, whether there will be justice or not. And I certainly hope that as many accusers as possible will be able to testify. Certainly many of my clients have spoken to law enforcement, are willing to testify, and then we'll have to wait and see what happens next. With the change in the Supreme Court and the, the, the changes of late, um, do you think we have something to worry about with uh, abortion and gay marriage being still legal um, in the near future? Absolutely. The anti-choice forces, I call them the those who believe in fetal supremacy or the supremacy of a fertilized egg over the rights and the decisions of adult women, yes, we have a lot to be concerned about with them because since 1973 they've never stopped uh, attacking the Roe v. Wade United States Supreme Court decision uh, in which uh, the United States Supreme Court decided that a woman does have a constitutional right to have a legal abortion uh, at certain stages of her pregnancy and that a legislature cannot deny her that right, cannot criminalize abortion. Well, even every, you know, constantly, I was going to say every year, but even more frequently than that, uh, uh, you know, working to undermine, uh, to eliminate, uh, to restrict uh, that Roe v. Wade decision. So, uh, yes, I think we have cause and reason to be concerned. Uh, we don't want women to suffer uh, having to get illegal abortions because either the, there's nobody available in her state to perform an abortion or because there have been so many restrictions on abortion that they literally can't get a legal abortion in their state. And there are states where a doctor has to fly in, as Dr. George Tyndall did, many years ago to provide abortions at the only clinic that was open in the state to provide abortions. Ultimately, he was assassinated standing in the foyer of the church waiting to hear his wife sing in the Sunday choir. And he was assassinated by someone who believed in anti-choice. So I guess he believed in the right to life, except not in the right to have a life for the abortion doctor who was so courageous to perform abortions. Going back, if you don't mind, let me go back to R. Kelly. I've got a question. Uh, given the fact that they allowed him to do this interview with Gail King, which in, in my opinion, and I'm not an attorney, is sort of like crazy to do, do you, do you see R. Kelly being, uh, testifying in court? Well, I don't know what you mean by whose they allowed him. Um, he just, he made the decision obviously to do it. And, you know, it's not a surprise that Gail King would love that interview to take place, which it did. Uh, is he going to testify? Most defendants who are charged with crimes uh, do not testify because their attorneys advise them it's not in your interest to take the witness stand because 
you'll be cross-examined by the prosecutors and you may not be able to, you know, sustain cross-examination. Um, on the other hand, it is the right of the defendant to testify if he wishes to testify. And that's what, uh, you know, very few have done. But he could decide to do it. Who knows? Um, given his performance with Gail King, uh, I think that would be a huge mistake on his part because I don't think he's in control of himself. Uh, and, you know, his answers could cause him to be convicted just on what he says alone. That's possible. Sure. sure. Man, she stayed calm. Boy, she's got a, she'd get an award for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's better. It's always better to be calm oh, in the face is, of you know. of of anger of another person and hostility. Um, so not to react to that because that would just escalate the anger in the other person. Yeah, actually, I saw. You did a good job. That, Great job. Yes. I yeah, that Netflix that. Um, when you were being yelled at on the on the streets. Um, right. By that guy. Except the York. Lincoln Memorial, yes. Yeah, and it's just like you stayed really together that whole whole time. It was just, uh, and he was just, he was real aggressive yelling at you, you know. Yeah, very interesting, too, because it turns out that that same person uh, who was in the documentary yelling at me in the, do in the documentary, uh, we saw him, I think, last year at the Gay and Lesbian Pride uh, parade, which I'm in every year in West Hollywood, and there he was, I think with a bullhorn with other um, anti-gay and lesbian protesters, and that was very rather surprising. Here he was in Washington, and yeah. then all of a sudden now he's in West Hollywood, um, so I guess he feels very strongly about ant denying potentially uh, civil rights and equal justice or equal rights under the law for people who are gay and lesbian and uh, he appears to you know at least be at different points in the country making his views known <laughs> he just has nothing else better to do I guess uh, I don't know I don't know but it was rather surprising to see him there. great yeah just crazy um, so what do you what do you got coming up next I guess you've got R. Kelly any other big cases you're working on uh, I, well, I also represent one of the two victims, uh, or the persons who are alleged to be victims in the Harvey Weinstein case. Uh, it's a criminal case pending in New York, and the trial is set to take place, uh, in June, uh, early June. So, of course, you know, Harvey Weinstein has been accused, I don't know, by yeah. 60, 70, maybe more, uh, women. Uh, who alleged that he engaged in sexually inappropriate conduct with him, some alleging sexual assault or rape. Um, in any event, out of all of those women, there are only two who are alleged to be victims of the criminal case in New York, and that's the only criminal case now pending against him. There are many investigations. It's the only case in which he's actually been charged. And so I'm representing one of the two victims or the person who's alleged to be the victims, and she's very brave. And I'm honored to represent her. And that's going to be a very interesting case. Also, what's going to be, he's charged with, you know, rape and forced oral copulation and sexually predatory conduct. If he were to be convicted of sexually predatory conduct, he could get a sentence of life in prison. So we'll have to wait and see. He's entitled to a fair trial, due process. 
Um, and so, but I think the victims also, like persons alleged to be victims, are also entitled to a fair trial. So we'll see what happens. He's got a new defense team. He's adding lawyers to it. Now he's added women lawyers to it. Um, so apparently he's going all out. I'm losing count of how many lawyers he does have on his defense team. Quite a few. Uh, well, he's got a lot at stake. I understand that. So we'll see what happens at the trial. Is there any advantage to to him hiring so many lawyers? Like, what? Why do you need so many? Well, apparently he was looking for women lawyers as well. I guess because the accusations are made against him by women, and perhaps he feels that it'll look better for the jury to have women defending him. I don't know. Maybe that's not the reason. But he also has men on the defense team. Uh, you know, he's. Look, this is a, a you know he, a, a trial which, if he lost, he could go to prison. So um, that's it's understandable that he would want to hire a lot of lawyers, very experienced lawyers, and defend himself. So that's not a surprise to me. He has changed lawyers. Um, he had a very experienced lawyer, Ben Brafman. Apparently, that came to an end, and now he's hired Jose Baez and another and some other lawyers. So we'll have to wait and see what kind of defense they have. Yeah, it just it just seems like I I don't know how they expect to. Uh, so many people know about the case. How how do they expect to find a jury that isn't aware of of all the different allegations? Well, a great question, and the answer is they probably can't find a jury that isn't aware of many allegations against Mr. Weinstein. On the other hand. I'm sure they will question their jurors and voir dire and, uh, and ask them if they have heard about accusations against Mr. Weinstein. And if they have, are they still able to be fair and impartial and reach a decision or a verdict based on, solely on the evidence that is introduced in the courtroom and not on, based on anything that they've heard outside of the courtroom? That's, that would be a standard type of question to ask jurors. This is kind of a, a, a question. Do you think Hollywood's really forgiving of these types of people down the road? Forgiving? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, do, I, think, I do think many of them have been down and then come back up. But let's also say that, you know, I mean, I don't just handle cases involving Hollywood personalities or right. in the music industry like R. Kelly or, you know, Harvey Weinstein, film producer. Uh, or Bill Cosby, television personality. Uh, we handle many other kinds of cases as well. For example, we have a case right now with more than 60 women that we represent. That's 6-0. Uh, and we're suing USC, uh, University of Southern California, and Dr. George Tyndall, who was a gynecologist there for decades, alleging that Dr. Tyndall sexually abused our clients and that USC had notice of complaints of sexually inappropriate conduct, and yet they continue to employ him there. So we do many, many different types of cases, and uh, we take it very, very seriously if someone alleges they've been sexually abused or harassed. What, what, have you ever had cases kind of like what's going on with that uh, Jesse Smollett, you know, the... Uh, you know, do, do, do you come across ones where people sort of make up their assault? Uh, if we feel that a, a client or a potential client is lying to us, of course we're no longer going to represent them or we won't take their case in the first place. Um, 
But most people who come to us are telling the truth, and, you know, they usually have evidence to support what they say. And and so, uh, you know, if it is within our area of expertise and we can do it, we will, um, assuming it fits the legal requirements that are going to be necessary. But uh, I, I don't. I, I feel that there are more cases where people are telling the truth but don't proceed to assert their rights than there are of cases where people are lying and trying to get something based on a lie. Again, if we don't feel they're telling the truth, we're not going to be representing them. Yeah, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Wow. Uh, it's been it's been amazing, and I think you do a great job. And uh, us here at the station uh, love it when we see you on TV and <laughs> and talk. And well, thank you. I do hope it inspires people to stand up for their rights, to assert their rights, to want to vindicate their rights in a court of law. We also do many confidential settlements, so protecting the client's privacy and the accused's privacy, where we're able to resolve cases without filing a lawsuit just by having a confidential settlement. And that's fine, too. A lot of people think, well, that's not a good thing to have confidential settlements. But it can be. We need to do what our client wants. And in many cases, they don't want anyone to know they were raped or sexually abused as children. And we're able to get accountability in the form of a settlement from the wrongdoer because we always say the wrongdoer should bear the cost of the wrong, not the victim. And um, so there are many ways to do this. And the main thing is it's very empowering to individuals when they know there is something that they can do, that they are doing. So instead of being on the defensive that they were victimized, now they're on the offensive. And the person who is on the defensive is the person who hurt them. And that's, that's the way it should be. This is the reckoning. This is the age of empowerment. And this is the age of equalizing power between victims and the predators. Well, well, we thank you. I think you're doing a great job, and, and we're glad there's lawyers like you out there. So, Well, um, I'm very honored to be part of your program, and I'm glad that you're out there uh, with your program. <laughs> and I, I am very honored that you invited me on your show, so thank you so much. And if well, people wish to contact me, they can yeah. easily contact me. Just go to GloriaAllRed.com, and they'll find out how to contact me. We do have offices in Los Angeles and New York, um, and uh, we we do take cases in many different states, and we're just very thrilled that uh, people want to uh, win justice, and, and we love the opportunity to show them how that can be done, if it's possible. Great, and we'll have your website attached to ours as well, so people can do one click if they listen through the uh, internet, which a lot of people do now. Um, well, okay. thank thank you very much, Gloria. Thank you, Al. Have a wonderful day. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.